Um, good morning. It's great to be here. I just sense that the Lord is doing something. It's kind of a heaviness, a good heaviness. I feel like he's got something to say today. So uh, before we do that, though, welcome to church. I'm glad you're here. Are you excited to be in church today? Come on. Come on. I'm excited. God's here. Let's go. And if you're online, I want to say welcome as well. We're so glad you're watching online. I know for me, when I watched online services this summer, it's very tempting to kind of pay attention for part of it and do other things during the other part. So I just want to encourage you, really lock in today because I believe God has something for you. But if you're new in this house today here, physically, I just want to remind you to fill out that connect card. We would love to get to know you. And our prayer for everybody who's new today is that two things would happen. You would encounter God, and I believe we've done that during worship, but I pray that it would kind of continue and build even throughout this service, but then also that you would feel loved and welcomed here. I want to start today by sharing some exciting news. If you remember back in November, I think it was like November 6th or something like that, we met at a church building in town uh, because there's some potential of getting that building for a permanent space, and we had a great worship night. Like, honestly, that was one of the most powerful encounters I personally had with the Lord in my whole life. It was a really powerful night. People were encountering God at the altar, and it felt like God was just doing something. And the story of that building has really been an amazing story that God has written. It's just, it's been in the course of three different years now, 2019, 2020, and now we're in 2021. And there's been like multiple times that the door seemed to have closed, and then the door would open back up again. It's like when God wants something to happen, he keeps popping the door back open. It's just really weird how that works. But in October of this last year, uh, the door opened again for us to pursue the property, which is why we had that uh, special time of worship there, was to see how we liked it, see how you liked it. And uh, at the same time that the door popped open because the owner was willing to negotiate again, a church in Urbandale had... Uh, had contacted me and said that they wanted to partner with us to get the building, okay? So essentially, we're a brand new church. We can't finance a building right now. We have no credit. I don't even know how that works with churches, but point is, we, don't, we can't buy a, a church building right now. But there's a church in Urbandale, and actually two of their missionaries are here today, and they're going to be sharing at the end of service, so hang tight for that. Please don't go to sleep at the end because I preached for too long. Give them grace and listen to them after I preach the sermon. But point is, this church in Urbandale I come alongside and say, hey, we'll partner with you. We'll help you get financing. You can, you know, just pay rent to us, and, and that rent will increase over time as you get healthier and stronger as a church, and then eventually we'll sell you the building for whatever's left on the mortgage. Okay, so they came alongside us and said that, and then the owner was willing to negotiate, so we started talking, and, and I haven't given any news because we've been going back and forth since then. It's been fun. It's been a good time. I love everyone involved. It's been, it's been a good time, but I'm excited to say that as of this last week, we came to terms on a deal. Okay, so now that all of that needs to happen is an inspection, and that church needs to vote again. They already voted once, but then we changed a few of the terms, so they need to vote again. And once that happens, which should be at the beginning of February, then we'll be good to go, and we'll be able to you know, close on the building and hopefully move in there sometime in April. So I'm hoping for. It'd be really cool if it worked out for Easter Sunday. That would be awesome, right? April 4th, okay? So that's what I'm praying for. But can we give God praise about what he's done? Come on. I know our setup teardown team is particularly excited, especially after this morning. Come on, it was freezing out there this morning. I'm like shoveling, like, ah, get out of here, ice chunks. Honestly, oh, it was fun. It was a good time. I'm ready to preach after that. <laughs> but this story of us getting this building, or almost getting this building, because we have a few more things to jump through, or a few more hoops to jump through, is really a story of, of what God does when we persist in prayer. It's a story of how prayer truly works and does anyone here remember the first time you prayed? Can you remember that moment, like the very first time that you prayed and talked to God? You know, the first time 
I prayed was probably at church or something like that, or maybe around the dinner table. I can remember I would always want to pray before meals as a little kid, and I'd say, God, thank you for Jesus, for Joseph, and Mary, and I would, like, name off all these biblical characters. But, but the first time I really remember, like, like, God moving in prayer and, like, seeing him answer a prayer was around the time I was probably about five years old, and my older siblings were watching this old horror movie called Chucky. I don't know if you've heard of it. If you haven't heard of it, don't look it up. It's the scariest thing in the world. I saw a little bit of this movie, and it absolutely horrified me, and it didn't help that my father, who's here today, would come into, like, the windows outside the house with the little dog, go, hee, 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 and put it in the window and try to scare me. I'm still mad at you about that, Father. Honestly, I would never do that to Jane. <laughs> but anyways, he would do that. <laughs> and uh, I had these nightmares. <laughs> like, they were scary nightmares. It's okay, Dad. I forgive you. But, but uh, and I'd be running from Chucky, and it was literally like when you can't run in your dreams, you're like, Ooh. Oh, like you're trying to run, and Chucky would just be running after me. And I was scared to death. And I remember telling my mom, say, I really need these nightmares to go away. And she asked me if I've ever prayed about it. And I said, no, I haven't. And she's like, well, let's pray that God would help you with your dreams. So we prayed something along the lines of, you know, dear Lord Jesus, we pray that Daniel would have no bad dreams tonight. And I'm not kidding you. I prayed that up until I was probably like 20. I'm not kidding because I don't like nightmares. But, but here's the reason why I prayed it up until I was 20. And once in a while, I'm tempted to pray it now, is because it actually worked. Like after that, I, I never had another nightmare about Chucky. It was crazy. We started praying. We prayed every night, and I would not have nightmares anymore. Prayer changed something in my life. It gave me confidence that God was with me, and it connected me to his heart, and it actually changed my situation. And it's crazy, 25 years later, where, you know, this started in November, you think about that church building, it was actually listed for a million dollars back in November 2019. It's crazy to think that God was answering the prayers for no bad dreams then, and then as a 26-year-old, I'm marching around this building praying, God, give us this building, give us this building, give us this building, because I've actually seen him answer prayers. I know he can do it. So I it's built my faith up over the years as I've seen God continue to come through time after time after time. God answers prayers. He's in the business of answering prayers. I've seen it in my life, and I just pray that, that God would press this truth on our hearts. Some of us are struggling spiritually right now, and God wants you to come to him and say, Jesus, I need help with the spiritual struggle. I feel like sometimes we just say, I'm going to figure this out on my own. Like I'm just going to kind of press through, but God wants you to press into prayer and say, God, I need a breakthrough. And not just spiritually, also in our physical situations, our financial. God wants us to press in in prayer and actually believe as we pray that he's going to do something about it. Because that's what he's in the business of doing. Every single human being has some concept of prayer. At a baseline level, we understand it to be talking to God or talking to some higher being. However, I think we all have different understandings of what this looks like. You know, some of us think of prayer as just like a religious ritual that we do. You know, something we need to do to stay in line with God. You know, we may recite a prayer before meals, or maybe we pray before bed, but there's no life in these prayers. It's just like these ritualistic prayers. And rituals aren't bad, but it, but it becomes lifeless for us. And others of us think of prayer as something we do when we're in a bad spot, okay? So maybe you don't have money to pay a bill, and you're like, God, I need your help. Or maybe you're a student, and you don't study because you hang out with your Kyle friends, and you're like, God, please help me with this test. You know, still others of us, we think of prayer as a way to calm ourselves. We start to feel anxiety, so we start to try to connect with God, and we try to center ourselves and feel grounded. Biblically, prayer really takes two main shapes. One shape of prayer is this idea of experiencing intimacy with God. It's kind of like this two-way conversation with God where you're, you're walking in relationship with him, you're adoring him, you're hearing what he has for you. It's just this kind of fellowshipping with God. It's this walking with God. And then the second shape it takes primarily 
is this idea of contending for God to change things on earth, saying, God, I need you uh, to move in this situation. So prayer is both communicating with God and it's inviting God to move in our world. If we wanna step into the lives that God has called us to live and be the people that God has created us to be, we need to become people of prayer. It needs to become our instinct. It needs to become our primary language, our native tongue, so to speak. It needs to be something we set aside time for each day, not just something we do on commutes. That's tempting to be like, oh, I'll just do it on the side when I'm already doing something else. Not just on commutes, you set aside time for it, but also when you're commuting and walking and, and doing life, right? It's this all-day prayer, and it's also this set-aside, time-focused prayer. Okay, so uh, with that said, we're continuing our sermon series, Whole Heart, and I love this series. It might be my favorite sermon series I've ever preached. And we're talking about how, how spiritual disciplines help us give our whole hearts to Jesus. You know, see, Jesus wants us to become a people who give our whole hearts to him, both individually, like in our personal lives, but then also as a church, corporately. He wants us not to just be religious people or nice people or good people. Like so many times we think of Christians, you know, just as nice people. God wants you to be nice and kind, but that's not his primary concern. He wants you to be a deep person that truly walks with his Holy Spirit and truly loves God and people. And I believe that this is what the world desperately needs right now. The world doesn't just need more nice Christians, although again, be nice. The world needs deep people who know God, who truly know him. And spiritual disciplines are a way we can practically work towards becoming those deep people who give our whole hearts to Jesus. And so far, what we've done, we've had two weeks so far, we've given an overview of spiritual disciplines, and then last week we talked about fasting because we're kicking off 14 days of prayer and fasting today, and now we are talking about prayer, okay? So, you know, to adequately talk about this subject, we should probably spend a whole year on it, but I got one sermon. So, Lord, help me. Trying to choose a scripture passage this week was so hard. I'm like, God, what am I supposed to do? Prayer in one day? It's not going to work out. We're going to try our best, and I'll try to continue encouraging us in prayer, but you also have to go on a journey with the Lord on your own. I'm just trying to get you started, right? You can read the Bible. You can journey with him in prayer on your own, because the big thing about prayer is the way you learn is by doing it, right? Start doing it, okay? Okay, so I'm going to give a little more background on our passage today than usual, and you might wonder why and how it connects to prayer, but hang with me, okay? So Colossians chapter 3, turn there with me. Hang with me here. I believe it's really going to help us. So the book of Colossians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. A destructive, false teaching had crept into this young church, and it was threatening its health. And Paul knew that any teaching that is not based on God's word can kill a church or a faith community, and he vigorously opposed this teaching. And Paul writes this letter primarily to correct this teaching, uh, or with the end goal that the believers could continue growing into maturity. He knew that if they believed rightly about God, it could help them grow into maturity. So that's why he's trying to correct it. And we see just a little bit of his heart for the Colossians in chapter 1. It says, it's coming on the screen, so you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. It's only a page back. But it says this in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, so Paul's concern for the Colossians was that they would be filled with the knowledge of God 
and spiritual wisdom so that they could walk in a manner worthy of God. He wanted them to believe rightly about God so that they could live in a way that pleases God. You see, right beliefs should lead to, or to right behavior. Right beliefs should start to lead towards living more like Christ. Okay, so what does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of God? What does that look like? You know, some of you that grew up in the church, you might think, okay, don't drink, don't smoke, don't have sex outside marriage, we're good. We're walking in a manner worthy of God. That's part of it. Like, some of that's part of it, but, but Jesus and Paul give a different picture of it, right? We don't want to do those things. We don't want to get drunk. We don't want to smoke. We don't want to have sex outside marriage. So hear me on that. But, but Jesus speaks more about the condition of your heart. Okay, so Sermon on the Mount, like this is like Jesus' biggest teaching. And he gives the Beatitudes. We talked about these last week. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, blessed are the meek. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Okay, so that's part of what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of God. This humility, this hunger, this saying more of God, purify my heart now, Jesus, please. That's part of it. But Paul gets at it too in Galatians chapter 5. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. We could talk about that all day. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. I'm telling you, it's a little bit easier to try to modify our behavior and not deal with our hearts. See, the fruit of the Spirit is harder than abstaining from alcohol or from sex outside marriage. The fruit of the Spirit is hard. I'm still trying. God, please help me be more patient. Please, Lord, please help me be more good. Please help me be more faithful. God, please help me be more gentle. These things are really hard. And Paul's saying, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of God. But here's the thing. If you're embracing false teaching, that's going to destroy your fruit. False teachings make us live less like Jesus and more in the flesh. All Christ-centered teaching should cause you to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, in the great commandments of loving God and people, and in the great commission of going and making disciples of all nations. In chapter 2, he encourages the Colossians bluntly to resist the false teaching. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. And see to it that, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty to see according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Okay, so Paul is calling the Colossians and he's calling us today to walk like Jesus walked, to be rooted in him and in his teachings, to be full of love and compassion, and to lay down our lives for others, to follow our master in his footsteps. And to do this, we must center our lives on the message of the gospel that Jesus came, he died for sinners, and he rose from the grave. Any teaching that is not centered on the gospel of what Jesus has done and any philosophy that doesn't encourage you to love God and people but claims to be a teaching of Jesus is a, is a false teaching and should be renounced. So if the teachings you're embracing are causing you to act less like Christ and to act more hateful, renounce them in the name of Jesus. True biblical teaching will make you kind of swell up in the fruit of the Spirit. It just overflows from you. And Paul gets more specific in verse 16 about this teaching, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. 
These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ, and let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, and puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. The false teaching that the Colossians were dealing with was a teaching that said that you had to abstain from eating certain things to be saved, and it also encouraged you to do weird spiritual things, like, like worship angels and embrace these you know, strange spiritual practices. Both the rules that said you can't eat things and the spiritual practices were ways in which they tried to get salvation from places other than Jesus. The scary thing is that the false teaching masqueraded as a teaching of Christ. But it was a twisting of Jesus' teachings and it urged the Colossians to add other stuff to the gospel. And the end, and the end result was the Colossians being tempted to put their hope somewhere else other than Jesus. False teachings are always meant to pull us away from Jesus, pull us away from being consumed by heaven, and to be consumed by other things instead. Paul boldly proclaims that Jesus is the only way that they could be saved. We don't need to follow extra rules and regulations or climb a spiritual mountain. We don't need a worldly savior, and we don't need to be our own saviors through good works. Nothing we do can get us into right relationship with God, but it's all a free gift that's available because Jesus died for us and he rose from the dead. All right, so after saying this, we finally get to chapter three, which is important for our discussion on prayer. You're like, how's this time with prayer? Okay, so Paul rolls out from this rebuke on false teaching, and he goes right into a plea with the Colossians to focus on the things of heaven. He says, stop being caught up in these empty human philosophies. Stop being distracted by the things of earth, and get your eyes on heaven. This is what prayer is. It's focusing on God and heaven. It's adoring him. It's giving him our cares and concerns. It's asking him to move in our midst. I want to read this. First four, verse, or first four verses of chapter three, and, and this is gonna give us a good foundation. It says this. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is and seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above and not on the things that are, are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. All right, let's pray over this. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to come. Holy Spirit, speak to us. You've already been preparing our hearts through worship. And God, I pray that you would confirm what you've already been doing through your word this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to us and we become people who are consumed by the things of heaven and not by the things of earth. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first point this morning, if you're taking notes, and I sure hope you are. Come on, somebody. Amen. Let's take some notes. We are, first point, we are called to be consumed with the things of heaven. Okay, Paul begins our text by saying, if you've been raised with Christ, spiritually speaking, and have become a new creation, then you should seek the things that are above, the things of heaven where Christ is. In chapter 1, we saw that, that Paul prayed often for the Colossians to walk in a manner worthy of God and to be this people of love and joy and peace. If they were going to do this, though, Paul knew that they had to get consumed with the things of heaven, and they had to stop being distracted by the things of earth. This is why... After a stern rebuke of these false teachings, he calls the Colossians to seek the things above. The quickest cure to our sinfulness and to our walking in a manner that's unworthy of God or embracing false teachings is to be consumed with Jesus. Look at Jesus. That's how we get free of stuff. 
As we look at King Jesus and how marvelous and wonderful and loving and gracious he is, it begins to kind of roll back sin in our life. This is why we practice spiritual disciplines. This is why we're doing a whole series on it, because our spiritual disciplines help us to abide with Jesus or connect with Jesus, which then help us to be consumed with heaven, which then roll out into this idea of walking in a manner worthy of God. Spiritual disciplines lead to that. And prayer is the quickest and best way to seek the things that are above and to get in tune with heaven's frequency. See, prayer is the foundation of all the other disciplines and should be practiced alongside the other disciplines. So as you fast this week, pray. I promise you, if you try fasting without praying, it's going to stink, okay? <laughs> as you sit in silence and solitude, pray, right? You're going to get a little bored sitting there, which it's good to sit in silence too, but, but pray as you're doing that. As you Sabbath, you should be in an all-day state of prayer. Richard Foster says this. He says, prayer catapults us onto the frontier of the spiritual life. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Okay, so when we pray and we set our minds on things above, we should focus on who Jesus is and what he cares about. So you're wondering, how do I pray? Focus on Jesus. And to you know, be able to focus on Jesus, you need to read the Bible too, right? To help you get a picture of who he is. In the Gospels, we see that, that Jesus is tender. He's way more tender than you and I. He is so tender. He, he's loving. He's full of grace in such a way where children would be comfortable coming and sitting on his lap. At the same time, he was mighty and powerful and full of truth and strong, way stronger than the strongest person you know. You know, so strong that he'd flip over some tables once in a while. All right, this is a mighty and loving God all in one. And much of our prayer life should be spent thinking about this Jesus and thinking about who he is and thanking him for who he is. We shouldn't only think about who Jesus is, though. We should think about where Jesus is. Okay, so Jesus, he is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, and he is in control over it all. That doesn't mean he controls every little detail, but he is sovereign over everything. And when we set our minds on things above, we think about what heaven is like, and, and we're driven to awe at the fact that Jesus is there, and he's directing the affairs of man. He is sovereign and good. And this is why the Lord's Prayer starts like this. It says, our Father in heaven. Right? We are looking at where Jesus is. We are orienting our hearts around where God is. He is over and above everything. And, and really, the Lord's Prayer is a great guide for prayer. Like, if you're wondering, how do I pray? It's a great place to start. I encourage you to pray it in your own words. Right? You don't want to just kind of recite it. But, but pray this prayer. It says this, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name because that means holy is your name and your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil every morning when we wake up we should set our mind on the things above by addressing our father in heaven and in meditating on the holiness of his name we should ask his kingdom to come and his will to be done in our lives and in our cities and our families. And we should trust him for daily bread. Even if you're rich, you should trust him for daily bread. And we should ask for forgiveness and forgive those who have hurt us, which I know is the hard part. And we should ask for deliverance from evil because there's an enemy who's trying to attack us. And we should ask for help against temptation. Praying in this way is probably like the fastest way to start seeking the things that are above. And this is the call for every follower of Jesus to be utterly consumed with Jesus, to commune with him all day in prayer and to also set aside the time. So what does it look like for you to start seeking the things above and making prayer your priority? 
why I'd say you've got to get a time each day where you say, this is my time with Jesus, preferably in the morning. And I encourage you to leave your phone in the other room because when I take my phone with me to this time, the time with Jesus lasts a long time because I keep getting distracted. Put it in the other room and focus on God. And make sure your time is centered around prayer and scripture reading as you want to make sure that your mind is filled with truth as you pray. And even as you pray, or even as you read scripture, you should be praying as you read and say, God, help put this in my heart. Help me to understand this. And do not say you don't have time to pray. You don't have time not to pray. Okay, so Martin Luther, he said this. He said, I have so much business that I cannot get on without spending the first three hours in prayer, spending three hours daily in prayer. Okay, Martin Luther led the Protestant Reformation. If he had time for three hours of prayer, I think that you and I do, okay? This guy's like leading a movement, and we're over here. I'm too busy. I got a couple, you know, homework assignments, or I got to go hang out with Grandma, whatever. I don't know. I don't know why that popped in my head, but the point is, you got time, okay? But alongside the set-aside time, you should also... You should also utilize your commute times and, and those times where you're waiting. But see, we often, what we do, right when we have to wait, we're like, boom, pull out the phone, social media, boom, 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 like, 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 mm, mm, oh, great. <laughs> you're snapping some selfies. No, we don't do that now. As people of Jesus, we say, no, we'll check our phone at a certain time each day to kind of you know, keep up with people. But times of waiting are times for Jesus. Times of waiting are times for Jesus. Say, Jesus, I recognize that you're here with me right now. I pray that I would represent you well today. These things are bothering me. Can you help me with these things? I feel a little bit of anxiety. I don't know why that's there. Can you help me work through that, Jesus? Holy Spirit, be here with me. Like, pray those simple prayers. I encourage you to, again, pray through the Lord's Prayer each day in your own words. Okay, so as you do these things, you'll start to be consumed with heaven and start to walk in a manner worthy of God. It's really crazy. When you start praying more, you start living like Jesus more. It's like if you spend time with someone, you start acting like them more. That happened to me all the time as a kid. When I'd hang out with friends, like, they'd have sayings, and all of a sudden I'd pick up the sayings because I'm with them all the time. There's something about when you're with someone, you start acting like that person. So if you want to be like Jesus, stop looking at your sin and going, I got to get over this. And instead, just spend more time with Jesus. Because you'll start to take on the love, joy, peace, patience that he has. Okay, second point today. Okay, so if we want to get consumed with heaven, then we also need to recognize that the enemy is trying to distract us with the things of earth. Okay, so second point is we struggle to be consumed with the things of heaven because we are distracted with the things of earth. Okay, so notice when Paul says, set your mind on the things that are above, he follows it with, and not the things that are on earth. Okay, so Paul is saying, if you want to set your mind on the things above, then you've got to learn to not set your mind on the things of earth. Focusing on God starts with taking your eyes off the world. It's impossible to be consumed with heaven when you're consumed with the world. If we're going to set our mind on the things above, we have to train ourselves to stop being so distracted all the time. Why do you think that the false teachings were so pervasive in this Colossian church. Why just at the time that this church was growing and maturing did these crazy teachings come in that were so counter to what Jesus taught? It wasn't by accident. There was a dark spiritual force behind these teachings. They infiltrated the church at this pivotal time because an authentic move of God had begun. And Satan was trying to distract the believers from Jesus. Satan was trying to distract the believers from the main things, which is loving God, loving people, making disciples. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And what better way to devour the church at Colossae than to get them distracted with wrong teachings? Satan loves to distract people from the things above, 
And sometimes with good things even. It's not always bad things. Sometimes it's with good things. In the case of the Colossians, it was you know, certainly bad things as people were teaching that salvation was found through something other than Jesus. As the church had to focus on correcting this teaching, they couldn't focus on the main things of pursuing God and people. Guys, we have to remember that Satan, he desperately wants to kill us and that the things that we're tempted to believe in and focus on and give our lives to are not necessarily good. Every new opportunity is not necessarily good. Everything that the world deems valuable is not necessarily valuable. Every new idea or, or teaching or crazy thing you see on the internet is not necessarily helpful. Everything that sounds good is not necessarily true. This is important to understand in an age where there's so much misinformation and false information on the internet. Everything that sounds good is not necessarily true. And we especially need to, or to remember that seemingly good things can be used by Satan to distract us. Satan wants nothing more for us than for us to succeed at things in life that don't really matter. If we're focused on worldly things, we cannot focus on heavenly things. The church is so distracted. We're distracted with all these things. But God is saying, can you just focus on me? This letter from Paul was an assault on the devil's schemes. The devil was trying to take that church off track. He was trying to destroy it. And Paul desperately wanted the Colossians to walk in a manner worthy of God and to forsake false teaching and to be people full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this is Paul's hope for us as well. He's still praying that for us right now. He's like, come on, stop being so distracted. Focus on Jesus. But for us to get there, we have to recognize that there is a devil who's prowling around like a, or, or prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And that person happens to be you. Satan has helped engineer our current, our current world in such a way that it feels impossible to walk in a manner worthy of God. It feels impossible to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Everyone's so angry all the time. It's because we are so consumed with the things of earth. He has set it up so we'll be tempted to abide in everything other than Jesus. He wants you to abide in Netflix. He wants you to abide in the 24-hour news cycle. He wants you to abide in politics. He wants you to abide in social media. He wants you to abide in video games. We have to resist. We have to be a people of the way of Jesus and say no to distraction. We must refuse to make this world and the things of the world our primary focus. And we must get our eyes heavenward and focus on Christ. When Emily, when Emily and I were in college, we began watching a TV show. I, I won't say the name. <laughs> we enjoyed it, but it was questionable. It was dangerous in a couple ways for us. One, it sucked up a ton of time. It was really good stuff, okay? I enjoyed it a lot. We wanted to watch it all the time. But the second thing is that it had, you know, these sexual situations in the show that, that were definitely not of God and, and, you know, tempted me specifically to impurity. After getting through a season or two, we couldn't take it any longer, and we had to stop watching. I'm telling you, I really wanted to see what happened, but I still don't know. Netflix is still like, hey, you should keep watching, keep watching. As we stopped watching, it felt like I came out of the water, spiritually speaking. It was like I was kind of drowning before, and I, I'd been in this fog of time wasted and, and impurity, and I, I, I felt like I finally came up out of that. You know, Satan was trying to distract us, but God kind of rescued us out of that. You know, Satan wants to distract us with both bad and good things, and for me in that case, it was a bad thing. But again, oftentimes it's good things. It could be an obsession with your job. It could be an obsession with making money. It could be a sports team. 
All right, I like the football team. I don't know if you know what the football team is. That's the Redskins. But, uh, so it's hard for me to get too distracted with that. But they did okay this year. They went 7-9 and nine and made the playoffs. I don't know how that happens. But keep going. It could be politics. It could be too much entertainment, whether that be video games or TV. Have you wondered if the lure to watch Netflix all the time or play video games all day is actually an attack from Satan to distract you from the things that matter? Have you ever wondered if the temptation to be outraged all the time about what's going on in the world is an attack from Satan to distract you from being outraged at your own spiritual apathy and immaturity? Are you more outraged about other people's sin or your own sin? We must carefully discern what God wants us to focus on and discern if Satan is trying to distract us. I say this because if we can't get our eyes off the world, we're never going to be able to uh, truly develop an intimate relationship with God. Okay, so what do you focus on most in life? What is that thing that you focus on a lot? Is Satan using it to distract you? All right, so we've established that, that God calls us to be people who seek the heavenly things. We've established that God calls us not to be distracted, but how do we do it? How? We can't just do it by mere willpower, right? It's so easy to, or to be distracted. And I know we all don't want to go take our phones and just start taking a sledgehammer to them because that would be a little bit easier. But, but I think there's another way to get less distracted and to focus on the things of God, and that's the third point. We can become people of prayer when we saturate our hearts in the gospel. Okay, that sounds kind of spiritual. You know, hang with me. Saturate our hearts in the gospel. If you pay attention closely to our passage, you can see three catalysts that help us be consumed with the things of heaven and become people of prayer. And all three reasons are grounded in the gospel or in what Jesus has done in the world. When I say gospel, I'm talking about the good news of what Jesus has done. He's come, he's died, he's rose, okay? So Paul is in it. If you want to start seeking the things above, you have to get the gospel in you. The gospel is the answer to prayerlessness. If we get the gospel into our hearts, then we will become praying people, okay? So we see one of the catalysts in verse three. He says this. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Okay, so the good news that Jesus has died for our sins is a catalyst for prayer. Because he died, we can be forgiven and dead to our old lives. Dying with Christ enables us to pray because when we die with Christ, the barrier between us and God is removed. Our sin no longer prevents us from being in God's presence. Instead, we can just come into his presence freely and boldly. With sin out of the way, we have access to God in relationship. When Jesus forgives us, he gives us access to God 24-7. Access to the things of heaven. Forgiveness enables access. If you've been forgiven, then you don't need to wait some probationary period after you sin to go into God's presence. There's times when uh, me and Emily fight and I you know, say something I shouldn't have said. And I'm like, oh, I gotta wait like three days until I talk to God again. No, that's not how it works. All right, you can come right into his presence right after you sin. Do you believe that? Like Jesus has paid for your sins. He's paid for them, not just the ones that, like, in the way past. He's paid for the one that you did a few minutes ago. He's paid for it. So with that in mind, you can boldly approach God's presence no matter how good you are doing that week. All right, he gives us an, another one in verse one. Another catalyst to prayer. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Okay, the good news that, that Jesus rose from the dead is a catalyst for prayer. Because he rose, because we've been risen with Christ or been raised with Christ, we can step into a new life with transformed passions and desires. We can experience a spiritual resurrection here and now. We can be dead to sin and, 
and alive to God. We can have a brand new nature. We can have a new heart and a new spirit. We can live in a totally new realm and have a new heavenly identity where prayer becomes our native tongue. Our old self is dead and gone, and we are a new creation. Our identity is no longer sinner, but it's a son or daughter of God. And we have all the rights of a son or daughter of God. We are part of the royal family of God. We have access to God based on who we are now, which is his kids. All we must do is say the words, and we have our Father's ear. Right, so you think about this morning, Jane, during prayer time, if you were here before, she kept trying to talk to me. I was like trying to preach, passionate. She's like, dada, dada. And I'm like, okay, fine. She's my daughter. I have to listen to her. It's this idea that because we're God's kids, when we talk to him, he listens to us. We've been risen or we've been raised with Christ. I keep wanting to say that wrong. All right. The final gospel catalyst for prayer that Paul gives us is the fact that Jesus is coming back. Mm, come on. He's coming back. Verse four, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The good news that Jesus is coming back for his church is a catalyst for prayer. When Christ returns, each of us will receive a new resurrected body and be with him in glory for eternity. We will have victory over death, sin, hell, and the grave. There are so many reasons to fear and be anxious right now in 2021, but because we know that Jesus is returning, and we'll make a new heaven and earth, we can have great confidence and stay focused on the things of heaven. We can keep our main thing, prayer, and leave all the other stuff to God. When the world's going crazy, we say we're focusing on prayer. We don't need to get tossed to and fro by current events, but we can stay steady and focused on the prize of Christ and living a life worthy of him. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to fight our battles because God is doing that. This frees us up to utterly focus on abiding with Jesus and bearing spiritual fruit. We simply need to abide with Jesus, apprentice under him or be discipled by him and seek to be more like him. And God will take care of all this stuff going on in the world. You don't have to worry about it. That's strangely freeing, right? You don't have to worry about it. God's got it. You don't have to sit here and stress. Focus on prayer. Being with Jesus can be our main thing. And we can trust that Jesus will save the world. We don't have to. That doesn't mean you don't have to share the gospel, though. Share the gospel. That's another sermon, okay? Uh, the worship team can come up now. But something you may not or may not know about me, and I've shared this before. I know it's awkward, so just bear with me. I'm just going to say it. In high school, I was addicted to pornography, okay? I'm just really real. So if that was weird for you, I'm sorry. That's the way this church is. Okay, so during that time, I still felt like I was a follower of Jesus, you know, I had prayed the prayer of salvation, sinner's prayer, all that stuff, but I had no intimacy with Jesus at all, like none. I didn't really know him at all. I kept thinking about my shortcomings all the time and how dirty I was, and it wasn't until I realized the truth of the gospel, that Jesus paid for my sins, that he had defeated death, and he had given me a new nature, that I was able to actually start growing in my relationship with him. The fact that Jesus died for me enabled me to approach God boldly, knowing and knowing that my sins were forgiven on the cross, I didn't have to worry about that anymore. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave enabled me to actually believe that he had given me a new nature, that he had given me a new spirit, and that if I just keep pressing in, God will help me to get free of that as it's not part of who I am anymore. The fact that Jesus was coming back encouraged me that sin would not have the final word in my life. I served a victorious king and did not need to figure everything out myself. As I focused on Jesus, as I saturated myself in gospel truth every morning in scripture, my prayer life and my intimacy with him began to just boom, blossom. And the funny thing is, is as I grew in prayer and, and into, 
or in my intimacy with the Lord, the sin began to fall off my life. There's a chart that Casey made for us. Thank God for Casey, because I can't do this. The gospel gets in your heart, you begin to pray, because you don't say, okay, how does God actually feel about me? Does God actually want to be around me? You start to pray, you start to abide, you're like, God loves me. I'm his son, I'm his daughter. He wants to be around me, I want to be around him. And as you pray, all of a sudden, you start to become like Jesus. And then you go back to the gospel when you need, because you're gonna fall again, you're gonna fall short. And you remind yourself of the gospel, which then propels you into prayer, which then propels you into becoming more like Jesus. It's this beautiful cycle. It's this beautiful cycle of prayer and intimacy with God. But to get there, you have to know the gospel. The main idea this morning is this. If we want to give our whole hearts to Jesus, prayer must become our native language. There's no other way, guys. Like, prayer is the way. And I struggle with prayer. I'm much better at reading the Bible because it's something I can do, and I'm like, done, I did it. But prayer is the only way. It's every great man or woman of God in history, prayer was their way. Prayer was the way they followed. We have to be people of prayer. There's no other route. So this morning, maybe you're someone who hardly prays at all, and you're like, how do I start? Like, how do I even do this? Well, I have, you have two ideas for you, just two simple things. It's one, spend 15 minutes each day in prayer before the Lord, where you adore him for who he is and ask him to move in your life. You can go through those two movements. First, adore him, and then ask him to move in your situation. 15 minutes. That's all you gotta do. I promise you, if you're not doing anything right now and you start doing that, it's gonna change your life. The second thing is set a reminder on your phone every hour to remind you to say a five-second prayer to God, just acknowledging his presence and inviting him in. I'm telling you guys, if you do this, it's gonna change your life. It's very simple. It's very simple, but I encourage you to do this. I don't know what brought you here today, if you're someone who has followed the Lord for some time and you feel like, hey, I know how to pray. I've been doing that a long time. I believe the Lord wants to encourage you to never settle and to never feel like you figured it out. Be humble before God. We lose, I feel like we've lost like, like the beauty of humility in the church today. Like, like it's not something we value. Be humble before God. Say, no, I have not figured it out. Be hungry for more of God. Say, I've only scratched the surface. I wanna dive deeper and deeper and deeper in prayer. There's more and more of God to get to know. If you came here, and you're a Christian, but you feel like you fall short in prayer, the Lord wants to encourage you. Prayer is your inheritance. It's your birthright. You are a child of God. It's your birthright. God wants you to speak to him, and he wants you to hear his voice. Accepting the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf, but not walking in relationship with him is such a waste. Being in relationship with God is what you were made for. In the very beginning, before sin entered the world, God walked with man and woman in the garden. And it was just as real as, as me and you looking at each other right now. That's the kind of relationship God wanted for us before sin entered into the world. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he made this type of relationship available again, not physically, but spiritually. You can walk with God all day long. It's time to step into that intimacy. It's the key to being the person that God has called you to be. You gotta stop being distracted by the things of earth. You gotta get your eyes heavenward. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, yet you haven't been forgiven from your sin and you feel separated from God today, I believe that Jesus is inviting you into relationship. All you must do to be forgiven is trust in Jesus. All you must do is say, Jesus, I accept your sacrifice on my behalf. Forgive me. Forgive me for my sins. Give me a fresh start. That's all you gotta do. You just gotta ask him to do it. And if you confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. So this morning, I believe there's some people here who God wants to bring home. 
But it starts with humility. It starts with coming to God and confessing your sins and saying, I have fallen short. I need you. So can we do that right now? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes all across this room? The way we're going to do that is if you want to put your trust in Jesus for the first time or you want to recommit yourself to the Lord, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, you can slip up your hand. And if you've done this before in a service recently here, you don't have to do it again. As you put your trust in Jesus, he hears you. He doesn't have to save you every week. He saved you already. Okay, but if you have not done that yet, I believe that today is your day. Okay, so I'm gonna count to three, and when I do, slip up your hand. One, two, three, slip my ball across this room. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Is there anybody else in the room? If you're online, you can just kind of raise your hand to heaven right now and say, Jesus, save me. All right, let's pray, let's pray. Jesus, today we come to you and we ask you to give us new hearts and new spirits. God, I pray for those who are are wanting to put their faith in you for the first time or recommit themselves. God, I pray that you would do something supernatural on the inside, that you take that old heart of stone out and put a new heart of flesh in. God, I pray just for, for spiritual revival to happen here, God, in these hearts. God, not just for people who are getting saved today or recommit their lives, but for all of us, God. I pray for revival now in 2021. Give us a fresh heart. God, give us a new heart, new spirit, new desires, new passions. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. All right, let's stand up all across this room. We're gonna worship the Lord one more time. And as we're entering into God's presence and worship, I wanna kind of lead us in in prayer. Guys, we gotta start pressing in. We can't settle, we gotta press in. Satan is trying to get us to kind of let up right when we're starting to get a breakthrough. So I'm gonna pray and just say, God, help us to press in this morning. So Jesus, we come to you this morning. You know, lift your hands to heaven all across this room if you're comfortable. Jesus, we come to you right now. And God, we're asking you to help us to press in, to press through the distractions, to press through the things that are threatening to kill our spiritual lives. And God, we are saying, we're saying we want you here and now. God, move in this place, move in power, move supernaturally. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's worship.